On this episode of Deep Thrones, we review Season 2, Episode 1, The North Remembers. We prepare ourselves for a new season of King Joffrey, we help introduce the new important players in Season 2, and Chris teaches us about the newest smoke show in Westeros, The Red Woman, plus many more hilarious segments. Winter is here. Hey guys, uh, welcome back. This is Deep Thrones. I'm Sims. My partner Chidi's on the airwaves here. What's up? Hey, it's good. To, good to see you. Good to see you in season two, man. Yeah, no, it feels it feels like a whole new fucking show here. You season look just two. you look just as good in season two as you did in season one. Thanks. I think I, I kind of like your um, your your hi- your highlights that you got going for season two. That's right. Some new blonde sticks in there. That's right. <laughs> I, I was like, "Dear Jamie Lannister, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling." <laughs> Yo, football's in full swing now, though. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm fucking pumped. Hell yeah, dude. I mean, we should oh. maybe we should make just like a Deep Thrones football crossover show and just like I would love it. Throw in some, throw in some, uh, some stardom incentives or something. That'd Oof. be actually cool. Stardom incentives so for it. season eight. Yeah, dude. Vic- about, yeah. I would love that idea. Vikings want to know. Well, hopefully by this time, because it'll be Monday when this airs. So we'll see. Go Bears. Two and oh. Hopefully they yeah. get one and one. We'll see. That's right. They, they had a really good uh, game against the Packers. They blew it, though. Yeah, no. Total, well, total kick ass first half. Total then, Prince Oberon situation. Total Prince Oberon situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not, not going to lie. They had us in the first half. That was the mountain. You ever seen that? They thought, they thought the Aaron Rodgers the was down, <laughs> and next thing you know, he's crushing skulls. Uh, <laughs> man, that's fucked up. <laughs> All right. I don't want to relive that. Um, but Stardom and Sidham, uh, let's definitely let's... do that. Yeah, we'll Off do that. We can we'll, discuss that at our own time. Let's not give away all our secrets. <laughs> yeah, and we'll 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 probably do that next week. We'll probably do like a star and sit them, right? Yeah. Just in the in the in the flavor of football season. Just in that, that flavor, going? yeah. That nice flavor. Yeah. Let those flavors nice, melt. Yeah. Nice, nice roux. Yeah. Pumpkin right. spice. So let's uh let's stick to what we're pros in, right? So let's kick off this review here. Um, no pun intended with the kickoff. Um, we start oh, shit. off. First scene is in King's Landing in the courtyard, um, and there's some uh, there's some fighting, some gladiatorial style fighting going on for Joffrey's birthday or Joffrey's name day. Gladiatorial, nice you, nice word, gladiatorial. Yeah, you like that? I Hell love yeah. that. I've been I've been brushing up on my vocab since uh, season one was over. So, but um, so the Hound kicks off killing this one night um, right off the bat, and then Sir Dantos. Uh, what comes in super drunk and is supposed to fight, but Joffrey gets pissed that he's drunk when uh, when he's actually supposed to be like competing. So he kind of tortures him and pours wine down his throat in, in an attempt to kill him. And Sansa stops him and was like, "Yo, it's bad luck if you if you kill people on your name day," and yep. uh, kind of saved Dantos's day. And then um, Tyrion shows up later on, uh, pretty much announcing that he's going to be here and there's a lot of work to be done in King's Landing. Right, yeah, and that was a really good scene because it shows that Joffrey uh, is fully bought into the idea of being a prickish king, a ruthless king, a oh, punish-everybody yeah. type king. Sansa clearly has a faraway look in her eye, and she even says to Tyrion at one point, she's like, oh, I don't care about my traitor family, I, Joffrey's my beloved. And uh, yeah. and Tyrion goes, of course he is, but you can see in Tyrion's face, he's made a connection with her, and he knows that this girl's being forced to say these things. Oh yeah, and and Tyrion knows the type of kid that Joffrey is too. So he he knows that um, she ha- pretty much has to say that stuff, or else she's putting herself at risk and, and mm-hmm. you know her whole family. Mm-hmm. So. Quick side note for the football pick'em: Do you think Carrie Underwood would sing the intro of that episode? <laughs> Little Sunday <laughs> night the, football. To the Game of Thrones background. Yeah. We get Chris Collinsworth in here and be like, you know, Chris, I disagree with that call. <laughs> you get Boomer in here. You get Boomer in here. So from there, we go to a small council meeting where it's just Pycelle, the Queen, uh, you know, Cersei, um, Baelish, you know, the usual suspects. And they're discussing how people are kind of right. freaking out because they're getting letters from the Citadel that winter is is coming. The summer is ending, so you know. And there's some debate on to what that exactly means. But then out of nowhere, Tyrion walks in, and he's like, "Yo, guess who the new hand of the king is? It's your boy." Hell yeah! He actually, so he comes in, and and um, Cersei's kind of like got this attitude where 
um, she thinks that they're winning the war. And so they, like, Cersei kicks out the rest of the small council and has a one on one with Tyrion. And um, Tyrion just gives it to her, like, yo, you do realize that we're losing this war, right? Like, we got to figure out how to fucking win this. Um, and, and now she admits that she just lost Arya, which Tyrion just kind of laughs at. He's like, you know, you, you cut off the head of the head of the family and then you lose one of the little girls like what else are you gonna do next yeah we've lost all our bargaining chips and he even says to her he's like it must be weird for you to be the disappointing child no oh, yeah yeah that Which, was a great that was a great clap back too right i've there. definitely worn that title my whole life <laughs> <laughs> the disappointing child it's you boy and then, <laughs> and then from there uh we jump up to winterfell and bran is now the acting lord of winterfell and he's handling all these uh affairs accounts pleas all this stuff meanwhile rickon's off yeah. playing with his dinghy yeah Rick, no one knows god knows who knows Rickon what Rickon? no one's parenting him he's probably you know playing with mousetraps <laughs> and uh bran has another wolf dream and then they go out to the godswood and they're just chatting about dreams in winter and stuff so not too much to cover there yep and from there we go to a scene where Khaleesi is traveling. She has her three dragons. They're not growing too much because there's no food. They're, like, stuck in the desert. Uh, she has a very mm -hmm. small crew with her, I mean, obviously. And she's even asking Jorah, like, where do we go from here? And he's like, well, we can go this way, and this group will be ready to kill us, or we can go that way, and that group will be ready to kill us. Uh, so she's kind of in a, a tough bind as to what to do. And uh, I believe they said riders, don't they? Yeah, so she sends out her three blood riders, like the three in the Kalsar that she trusts the yeah. most. She sends out a few and, blood riders, yeah. and also I think she sends out a few crypt riders just uh, to, <laughs> to settle all of the beefs that she has. Settle all the beefs. Yeah, all the beefs. Direction. Yeah. It's, but, it's like fucking Arby. She's got the beefs. She's she, got the beef. Where's the beef? She's like right here. <laughs> she sends all. She sends the three of them out in all different directions to find help and refuge. Um, and that's that's where that scene leads off. Leaves, yeah. leaves off. Jeez, I can't fucking talk. We'll edit that. We'll edit. We'll take care. We'll edit that. We're gonna get that out of there. <laughs> Our producer will take care of that. For uh, sure. I told you she's fired. <laughs> <laughs> we're still yeah, we're still hiring. We're if still anyone, looking for a producer. Anyone, yeah. Our last you know, one and so I had creative differences, just about general life <laughs> direction. <laughs> Oh god! It's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. We we have fun. We have fun. Eh? Um, yeah, we have good times. We go, we go north of the wall, and the um, the Night's Watch are going on a ranging. There's a there's about two hundred of them. They're going through the haunted forest, and then they get to Craster's Keep. Um, this is the first time you meet Craster. He's a Oof. vile individual. Um, yeah. Just a really gross dude. He he makes his living um, by pretty much having sex and procreating with his daughters. Yep. And, um, Killing any sons he has. He kills the sons that he has, and and you know it's kind of fucked up. But like they they tend the whole house. They like get his food and everything. So like that's how he's making his living, which is disgusting. Yeah. Um, even for Game of Thrones standards, that's pretty gross. Um, um, but if, then, you know, yeah, and, and they even mentioned, they're like, there's really no, all the villages between here and the wall are abandoned. What are you still doing here? And he's like, eh, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, but he does mention that all the wildlings left to go join Mansfader's army. Yeah. Yeah, and they're getting, they're getting the uh, army together to march south. So um, at this point, you know, they're, they're just uh, setting up shop at Crasher's Keep for the night. But that's the most important thing there is that they find out that that's where all the uh, Wildlings yeah. are off to. Not much talk of any White Walker action, but this is more about the threat that Mance Raider poses because uh, of the fact that he is developing this army. I believe they say their numbers are totaling about above 100,000, which is a lot, right. and they could take the wall pretty easily. Yeah, and it's it's rare that you have a uh, a person north of the wall that can unite the wildlings. I think like in the books they mention that it comes like once every you know hundred or so years or something like that. So it is always a huge threat. And considering the fact that the uh, Night's Watch is down to about a thousand men, you know that's that's a big problem. You're outnumbered a uh, hundred to one. A thousand, and most of them probably pretty poorly trained men. Right. Um, so from there. 
we go to Dragonstone. We're introduced to a new terrain and actually a lot of new important characters, so I'm going to name a few of these characters. We're introduced to Stannis Baratheon, finally. This is uh, Robert's Stannis brother. The Stannis the Manus. I love Stannis. I actually really do like Stannis throughout the series, which is weird. I still like him even to the end. But it's Robert and Renly's oh, brother, man. Stannis. Uh, the Red Woman, who is a witch who answers to the God of Light, correct? And Sir Davos. Uh, mm -hmm. All these characters are introduced. It's very bare bones. We, of course, learn an awful lot about them as we go along. But uh, what we're introduced to is there's some sort of ceremony going on, and they're burning uh, the statues that I think represent the Seven, correct? Right, correct. And a lot and of the people that, who support yeah. Stannis disagree with that. Yeah, because all these people in Westeros, I mean, except for the people in the North, really, and the people in the Iron Islands, all worship the Seven for the most part. So all these people were born, and, and the Maester, uh, Maester Crescent there actually mentions it. He's like, how can you guys sit here and watch this? All you guys are born in the light of the seven. Um, and Melisandre just basically like dares him to do something about it, and he, he backs down. Yeah, and can we just talk for a second about the Red Woman? Oh, my God. Yeah, HGB. Oh, HGB. Hot, hot, hot girl, babe. HGB status achieved. Total spank vision, folks. Every time she's on scene, you could probably sneak one out. <laughs> <laughs> Curious <laughs> Van Helden, but yeah, it's, she's she's probably she's top three HGBs yeah, in the show. Yeah, top three HGBs in the show. Yeah. This is of course up for debate, but I think she always sneaks into most top threes. Um, yeah, she's, she's beautiful good. lady. She gets she's busting out titties basically all the time. It's pretty great. Even a little, <laughs> even a little, you know, she's just always doing it, and she is she's definitely an HGB uh, win winner. A woman who loves setting fire causes so much winner to come all over the my jorts <laughs> and actually uh an important thing at the end of the scene stannis actually gets um lightbringer the sword um out of the burning statues which is kind of like a fake lightbringer but uh, melisandre mentions azora high and the lightbringer prophecy and everything so i'll actually i'll touch on that a little bit in our westeros history minute so i don't want to get too deep into it now no i'd um, love to get deep into the red woman <laughs> true. 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 Um, Very so funny. So next scene, we go up to the map room in uh, Dragonstone, and Stannis is basically declaring to everyone that he's the rightful king of the Seven Kingdoms, and he's kind of nitpicking what exactly he wants it to say. Sir Davos is um, counseling Stannis to make common calls with Renly, but of course, you know, Stannis being the stern. Uh, stubborn man that he is he's like no why would I make common cause with someone else who calls themselves king when I'm there's only one king um, and then and meanwhile Maester Crescent has this great idea where he's gonna poison himself and the red woman to kind of uh, take care of that whole problem he thinks that she's having a negative influence on Stannis's thoughts yeah. and um, he does uh, he succeeds in getting her to drink it but she basically just knows it's poison. She stares him right in the eyes, she drinks the whole thing down, and then he drinks his, and he actually dies. And somehow, through some sort of blood magic or something, she is able to drink it and live. Yeah. This is that. It's sort of like if like you go down on a girl, and then she just goes to bed afterwards. And you're just sitting there like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wait just a second. <laughs> Oh, you, you die after that? You might, you no, it's a, I'm just saying it's like a no, kind of similar. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for knowing what you Thanks, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so happy. I'm just happy to be in season two, dude. I'm just so happy to be here right now, dude. Got So you want to give a thank you speech at the end? Yeah, if I could. Right. If, I, if I could have that moment, if I could have the floor. Uh, where do we go from there? Where do we go? Oh, we go to King's Landing. No, we, no, we don't. Star camp. That's right. Fuck. Yeah. I fucked it up already. Yeah. We'll edit that. It's all edited. We'll no, edit this sorry. whole thing. <laughs> we go to Rob's. From here, from here, we go to the Stark camp, Rob's base. Uh, and Rob's base looks really good. Uh, so does the tip. And he has a big conversation with Jamie, basically. And, and, and they're taking some shots at each other. They're playing each other's game. And uh, Rob even says, he's like, and Jamie's like, why are you bringing me all these places? And Rob's like, I'm keeping you by my side because I leave you with one of my bannermen. Your dad will buy him out. And he's like, oh, you don't trust your own bannermen? And Rob has a great line where he's like, I trust them with my life, just not with yours. Mm -hmm. Not much there, though, and other than that. Not, not too much there, but I'm going to be, I'm going to pull kind of a nerd mood here. Nerd Do it. Move here. 
Do it. Um, we'll edit it. <laughs> so early, earlier in season one, I mentioned that um, Rob Stark's camp was um, kind of shittily put together, and um, they didn't really clear any any oh, fields yes. for line of sights or anything. And in this scene, they they start off far back from the camp, like aerial view of the camp, and you can tell that it's all organized now. The tents are in proper rows, and there's actually cleared fields for line of sight. So they're they're showing um, Rob's getting more experience in combat. Um, just in that in that little scene that could be easily missed. Yeah, and that's like that was a great thing that you showed, and also Rob, you got to keep in in, in in mind what you said earlier, which is that he's starting to win a lot too. Right. Yeah. He's actually he's I think he's on a three battle hot streak right now. I think Terry he's mentioned yeah. that earlier. If this was yeah, NBA so Jam, he, that voice would go. He's heating up. <laughs> if this was Snapchat, you'd have that fire mark right next to him. Yeah. That's right. That's Next right. Time. If this you, was Netflix, it would say, "Are you still watching?" <laughs> yeah, this is how he's he's really going to town on this thing. Yes, he and he's doing well at it. Um, the next scene, we bounce over to King's Landing. There's a quick um, talk between Tyrion oh. and Shay, and they're talking about the new living situation. Boring. Me and Chris both yeah. hate Shay. Shay's doing some whore wizardry on Tyrion to make her think she's important, but she's also doing some whore wizardry on the show writers who, for some reason, think she's important. Yeah, I mean, she becomes it's, important, it's, I guess. But. Yeah, she does. She does play an important role um, throughout her stint in the show. So, I mean, there, there's no arguing that. But it's just the fact that I don't like that role is is really um, where my bias comes in on that scenario. But. Um, the important part towards the end of the scene in King's Landing, we bounce over to the Red, Red Keep and Cersei and Baelish are um, having a chat and Cersei is basically asking Baelish to find Arya for her and Baelish kind of threatens Cersei with the knowledge that he knows that um, him and, or I'm sorry that Cersei and Jaime are, are, have been hooking up and have been smanging a little bit yeah, well. and and he goes, knowledge is power, and then Cersei um, kind of does like a, a little exercise with her troops, basically threatening Baelish's life, and then she goes, no, power is power. And I thought that was pretty sweet. It's a great scene. That's like a, actually a really cool scene. Cersei has a, some, a lot of cool moments, uh, but that I, th mm -hmm. I think is like one of her first really cool moments there. Uh, it was when she kind of pulls it that is. on Baelish. But yeah, but it's starting to become more out in the open, uh, you'll see throughout season two, where people talk about the fact that Jamie was constantly putting uh, his wiener inside of Cersei. Mm -hmm. It comes Jean. up in a big way at the end of this episode, too. Yeah, yeah, which we'll get to in just a matter of moments. Uh, but from there, we go to Rob negotiating with a Lannister scout, uh, telling him that he there here are our terms. One, the release of my sisters. Um, and, and the other big one for to sue for peace, and the one that he knows is untenable, uh, well, he also wants his dad's ashes or remains sent back to Winterfell. He wants the remains no. of all those that the Lannisters have killed sent back to their families. But the big one mm -hmm. that he knows is a non-starter with the Lannisters that they'll definitely say no to is uh, that the North no longer be a part of the Seven Kingdoms. There's no rule of King Joffrey over the Seven Kingdoms. They become separate kingdoms, which, of course, they'll never agree to. Uh, right. and, yeah, and there's like a couple other side talks, Stark with Theon, Theon kind of planning the idea that for him to take King's Landing, they'll need ships, uh, and to get ships, that's what Theon's good for, because he's a great joy from the Iron Islands, which are known for their sailors, yeah. and there's dumb, a cat dumb, and rob dumb, conversation. Dumb, dumb. Yeah, which that, <laughs> wormholes are about to be opened, and then cat and rob, oh, yeah. of course, and, and worms are going to be cut off, and cat and rob, there's a talk there where Rob sends Cat to go try to kind of talk to Renly, uh, and you can dissect that any way you want right now, Chris. What do you make of those three different little points? It's, I mean, this 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 scene is kind of uh, like when you're first watching the show, you probably think that this is uh, a pretty dull scene, um, but as you rewatch or as you continue to go through the series, you see that this is the type of stuff that is is setting up. I mean, these are catalysts that make a huge difference for the next like three or four seasons. You know, um, there's there's great political uh, talk going on here, um, and and this one conversation kind of sets the path for um, a lot of a lot of big events to come in the future. So I, I'm not going to spoil. I know I'm a big spoiler, but I, I'm not. I'm going to hold off. Huge spoiler. Huge spoiler. But that's that's my short analysis on that. Um, and then the next scene, we're in the Red Keep's throne room. 
And Cersei is basically trying to level with Joffrey, saying, you know, you're the king, you have the resources to be able to, um, you know, put into this and, and help me find Arya. And then Joff kind of mounts back at her saying, you know, did you know that people are saying that you and Jamie are actually our father and, and um, Robert has a ton of bastard sons and all this? And Cersei just has enough of it and just smacks the shit out of him. Yeah. And uh, and and Joff is like, if you ever do that again, like I'll have you killed. But I'm the king now. Don't 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 touch me. Um, yeah. Which I think is an important moment, just because you see now that Joffrey's kind of showing her, like, I don't I don't give a fuck who you are. The times are changing. No one talks bad to Joffrey. He's an entitled entitled little bitch. Uh, and he drives yeah, he me the is. fuck nuts. And from there we go to, um, there's some, again, we go to Baelish's brothel, and they're always kind of doing some training sessions there, some jam sessions between the hookers, <laughs> uh, and there's, like, a really rough one going on. Uh, he's, he, this dude's, like, banging her, some whore. I feel and like then, they're always hiring, because they're always training. They're always, they got a huge turnover at this place. The payment <laughs> must be terrible. Uh, so she's training uh which you know and i don't know it's just like a forced scene in my opinion but from there what happens is sir what's his name janice slint and the kingsguard right the uh, commander of the kingsguard. they all come in and start killing bastards uh they and it turns out what they're doing is they're killing all the bastards of robert baratheon because joffrey doesn't want anyone to have a claim to the throne Actually, I, I fucked that up. Not the King's Guard. It's the uh, City's Watch. City's Watch. Yeah, so, that's my mistake. That's my mistake. I led you. I led you straight. We'll edit it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get that. None of this now. is gonna but make yeah, it to so, air. <laughs> so it's it's a really a uh, violent end to the episode because yeah, he kills um, a baby. I mean, yeah, they're just they're going killing a lot of killing kids, civilians, killing babies. Yeah, it's fucked up. Hmm. Um, and this all, of course, is at Cersei's command, who's really fired up at the fact that um, Joffrey brought brought that up to him in the last scene or to her in the last scene and um, important yeah. the one bastard who's able to escape is on his way north uh to the wall with ari who is aria and yeah. his name is gendry ain't that the truth yeah G and, and really quickly gendrification that's right they're putting the whole yeah. foods at the wall um <laughs> what, the, uh, gendry the thing about gendry is he will give you the biggest blue balls on the show because we don't know his importance yet. What is his fucking importance? What is he going to be at the end of season eight? And there's like a whole period of time where you won't even really see him for a very long time between like a certain amount of oh, seasons. Yeah. And then he resurfaces out of nowhere. And it's the this scene right here at the end when he's off in the carriage and it's, what's the final one's name? Gendry. And then they're looking for him. It, it, season eight has to lead up to something for Gendry, in my opinion. He can't just be another hound or another guy where it's like he was a great side character and you hope he lives. I think Gendry is set for bigger things, in my opinion. I mean, we can we can get into some season eight predictions, but I I mean, with with the limited amount of time with the limited amount of time that's left in the show, for them to turn around and and make this some sort of great character arc for Gendry, who we haven't even seen. I mean, he's been a pretty linear character throughout the whole. But this thing. scene, like, though, doesn't it doesn't it make you think that he's going to be elevated at some point? It's there's a certain importance placed on Gendry. Yeah, it, it it does. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna disagree with you on that. It definitely does. Um, but I just I mean, it, if the show writers do take it in that direction, I'm I'm gonna be a little disappointed because I think that we saw so much more character development out of other characters in the show. Um, yeah. And then to turn around and and you know make Gendry the hero would really piss me off. I'm not saying he's gonna be the hero. I'm not even gonna say he's end up king. I just there has to be something that happens. Your purpose. Yeah. What's right. his purpose? You know. Yeah, I see. We, we got to have saying. a little. He's got it. He's he's blue. But he needs to make winter come, you know. Well, I mean, no, that's gross, dude. Yeah, Ew. do it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what um, would you, so uh, what would you what would you rate segments? this one? Oh, rating. I forgot you don't consider the rating a segment, but I do. So, this is a little. Yeah. Well, we. That's the, where we. Dip, that's where we draw the line. That's, the podcast that's the almost drawn, broke right? up, folks, because of this simple yeah. thing. <laughs> I when gave this. When we're doing, I'm oh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, when go we're ahead. doing like a, a reunion tour after we're like famous and shit, and it's like uh, Deep Thrones behind the blow. Like behind the blow. TV yeah. or something. And then it's, and then it's like, yeah, we, we broke up because Shitty thought the rating was a segment, and I thought yeah. it was part of the review. 14 uh, years of friendship thrown out the drain because of the ratings. 
<laughs> I always told him Westeros history minute was too long. Um, so I gave it actually. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. It was kind of a boring episode. I gave it a five because it bored me. But the okay. five was because of importance. I would have gone lower. I think. I think this might be like our our closest rating of all time. I was actually heavily debating giving this a five, uh, but I gave it a five and a half. Ooh, this is uh, definitely the closest. Me. It's all right. God bless yeah. you. Um, I gave it a five and a half only because it does lay a great foundation for for the rest of the season, and I think. Um, I don't know, like kind of like when I got into those nerd moments earlier where I'm talking about, you know, important political stuff and then just little shit that you see. That's that's the only reason I'm giving that that little half um, yeah. above yours. I think it's perfect. No, okay, well, don't word it that way. What, the little half? I'm going to, well, you oh, said above. Little half above yours. I actually, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I misread it. I Mine was a six. So I gave it a six. So, so. you're going to... So you're just gonna do that? No, 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 I miss, it's a six. I'm not making that up. It's it's a six, so it's, uh, all right, so we'll go on to the next one. So you had a five and a half, mine's a six, it's a half above yours, and we'll go to the next segment. (laughs) Best line, yes, queen. Uh What was your best best line? Fuck fuck that horseshit rating. See, this is the type of stuff that's gonna pick up the shit. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm kidding, that's fucking hilarious. Um, Best line. Best line, yes, queen, so... Um, if we have some new viewers in season two, <laughs> best line Yas Queen is when we um, we say the best line out of the show, and then the Yas Queen is a, a line in the show with a little more oomph, with a little clap back to it. Mm. So my best line was "The night is dark and full of tears" from Melisandre. Um, I actually love that line. I say that a lot, um, just on the regular when I'm like going out at night. It's true. So, yeah. I mean, it's living in Chicago, man. The night is dark and full of terrors. You know, mm-hmm. know and then my Yas Queen was at Crasher's Keep when Crasher was talking to John. And he goes, you're prettier than half my daughters. You got a nice wet twat between your legs, too? Jeez, <laughs> man. Fucking nasty individual, dude. Talking about his daughters. Yeah, that's fucked up, Nasty man. wet spot. Well, he bangs him. Yeah, yeah, that whole... Crasher's is not a settling person. He's very unsettling. But you know what's low-key fucked up, too? Is like, it, like, if you go on, like, porn websites and stuff, there's tons of, like, incest porn and shit now. Like, I'm Oh, for page. sure. Oh, like, 100%. Fucking... Yeah. When is that phase gonna end? Because we need to get that shit out of there. Yeah, we need to get back to just... Face banging. Just good old-fashioned, <laughs> yes. Good old-fashioned regular Like... Yeah, you should. There should only be two options: petite or like those ginormous titty ladies. <laughs> Get rid of all that in between shit. <laughs> Get that out of here. Get some Riley in there, and then like Lisa Ann, and then you're set. <laughs> That's it. The all best right, of both worlds. Yours, uh, uh, my yours? best line is Lord Commander to Snow. Snow uh, is a little rough on Craster, and Lord Commander hates it because they're just using him for his services. And he slams him against the and he go wall, and he goes, "You want to lead one day? We'll learn how to follow." Great line, oh, right? Yeah, that is a great line. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then my Yas Queen is Tyrion to Cersei. You love your children. Your one redeeming quality: that in your cheekbones. I think that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I just thought it was a nice little, nice little something because Lena Headey does have great cheekbones. Witty. Yeah, it's pretty witty. He's mm-hmm. Tyrion's a little witty character, and I, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I like those two lines. They gave me, they put me in a good humor. I gotta say the, um, I, I don't know which one I enjoyed but more the. Tyrion and Cersei one-on-one or the Cersei and Baelish one-on-one conversation in this episode? Uh, I say Cersei and Baelish in this one, although Tyrion nine times out of ten k- takes the cake for me. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's always cool to see their brother-sister dynamic and how they like hate each other, but they're yeah. like, forced to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know whose brother-sister dynamic's a little crazy? It's Jamie and Cersei. You should see their dynamic. It's a little fucked up. Yeah, it's a, a little fucked up. It's a, it's a lot of fucked up. Oh, man. Um, I tell you. Okay, so that brings us perfectly into our next segment, Hottest Moment. Um, you want to start us off with this one? Uh, so the hottest moment for me, uh, both literally and physically, is the introduction of the Red Woman because she's setting shit on fire. And also, whew, guys, I can't stress enough, Clarice Van Houten, what a what a smoke she is. She is tape just, oh. Yeah. I actually had that as my honorable mention on my hottest moment, so 
good. I didn't I didn't know if you were gonna take that one or take the the other one that I had on here. What is yours? So mine is um, when Baelish and Cersei were doing their little chess match, and uh, we we touched on it earlier. But Baelish threatens her with knowledge, and then Cersei threatens him with basically the power of life or death. And you could tell Baelish kind of shits his pants a little bit when he has yeah. a knife to his throat. Um, but yeah, so I, I I thought that was the hottest moment because I do like those um, you know interchanges that they have what do we what do we classify when we came up with the segments the hottest moment was meant to be well i mean whatever gets you going i think is what i would classify that okay as. okay yeah. that's all i needed to hear whatever, you know bailey shitting his pants really gets you going yeah, yeah <laughs> really gets you salivating <laughs> you yeah. yeah this guy just said he wants normal shit and he's over here getting his jowls <laughs> moving to a dude shitting his pants <laughs> Total two Dude, girls, man. one cup guy over here. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Oh, let's go. Return of Westeros oh, history minute, God. baby. Dude, how pumped are you right now? Mm. Right. Should, I, should I get the hip-hop horn back out? <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Not allowed. Oh, man. So this one, actually, it does have a lot of relevance, not only to this episode, but <laughs> did you just crack, crack open a crispy one? Right cra- yeah, I have to get freaking sauce to listen to this. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so this one has relevance not only to this episode, but to season eight and basically throughout the whole series. Um, I, a lot of people theorize that this is how the show is going to end, having something to do with this. So, um, I'm going to cover the Azora High prophecy slash uh, the Prince Love's promise. So, um, basically, the prophecy starts with a world that's covered in complete darkness, and a hero named Azora High. Um, who has a bunch of different names, but basically this hero is chosen to defeat the darkness and in order to do so He's got to forge a, a sword powerful enough that can defeat the darkness, right? So how do you get a sword that defeats the darkness? He works on this and welds this steel for 30 days and 30 nights But it snapped in half when he tempered it in water and then so he tried it again this time He did it for 50 days 50 nights tempers it in a lion's heart so literally fucking goes through a lion's heart and it still breaks in there and then the third time he tries for 100 days and 100 nights and he he's really sad at this point not because he's failing but because he knows what it's going to take to get this sword uh, powerful enough to defeat the darkness so he calls in his wife um, Nisa Nisa is her name and he drives the sword through her heart to temper the steel and this time it actually sticks, and thus um, the legendary sword Lightbringer is made. And he uses that to defeat the darkness. Um, but the reason why it's so relevant throughout the series is that uh, Melisandre specifically, but a lot of people believe that the prince that was promised would come back, and Azor High will return and, and be the one who ultimately defeats the White Walkers. So we're still kind of waiting to see how that plays out in Season 8. Um, but yeah, so that's that's uh the Westworld's history minute there holy shit that was like about a minute Fuck a little yeah, over dude, maybe we're getting, this we're getting better we're, well we're getting that's it why are we this wee bullshit i'm doing fine you're the one who needed to improve no listen it, i'm not gonna skip out on any details so if i go two three minutes it's just that's young if you go two three minutes is. i probably would be fine with that it's it was that one time you did like it was like seven minutes dude and i swear i got up and like ate dinner and came back, and you were still <laughs> rocking and rolling in here. Rocking back. Well, ooh, <laughs> rocking ooh. Back. guys, rocking back's important, ladies. Never forget. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, <laughs> but actually, I mean, so, I, I, do you have any thoughts on that prophecy? I mean, how do you think that's go- well, without any spoilers, <laughs> how do you think that that's going to play out? In, uh, um, Prophecy you that you were just talking about. You fucking, you, <laughs> Let you me know think. The whole Prince thing. Come on, dude. Figure it out, man. Uh, the things you were just talking about, which I was definitely listening to, the Os- Ozark's prophecy. Uh, oh, my God. The Osi- Osiris? What kind of Game of Thrones fan are you, man? No, I know the prophecy. I think so- I've heard one take that that prophecy that it's actually Jon Snow. Yeah, that's like the leading theory right now. But you know There's who I bet it is? Gendry. <laughs> <laughs> dude, if it's Gendry, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. Uh, He's got so it. Yeah, oh, dude, I'm gonna. It's not. I, I bet it's not. But it can't be John or Danny. Is that too obvious? It'll be like Jamie or someone random like that. 
Maybe. Maybe. It, I, Varys. I don't know. I I have like a I have a I have a um sneaky suspicion. I have a I have a Sims theory going that basically is that it's the you? prince that was promised is um well actually no I'm gonna spoil too much so I'm not gonna fucking say anything okay because I don't even know what your theory is so that's crazy yeah we'll talk well yeah we'll talk about it we'll talk it off I the airwaves a, I have an end game theory yeah we'll talk off the airwaves so I don't spoil. nice then we'll talk during boy time during <laughs> boy time boy time um so oh this is a good segment Thrones for Dummies so this is a segment. Um, where Shidi asked me a question because I'm a fucking expert on the podcast here. Alright, this uh, insinuates I'm a dummy, I just realized, which at the time when we came up with these segments, again, I'm sure I was fine with it, but now, being a seasoned vet like I am, I think we should just call it Thrones for the Less Informed. (laughs) Alright, well, today we can call it Thrones for the Less Informed. Thrones for someone who doesn't have enough time to read all the fucking books. How about that? Well, you find the time if you really want to read them, right? Alright, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. Ain't no problem. Um, that ain't no problem. That my Thrones no for Dummies is give us some backstory on that fucking hot motherfucker, the Red Woman. Oh, Melisandre. Um, so, she actually, she did kind of burst onto the scene out of nowhere, and at first they really don't give too much background on her, um, but later throughout the series we learn that she came from Ashai, which is a city in the Far East, um, it's like past the Dothraki Sea and past Karth or Koth, however you say it. Um, so it's pretty far out there. The show never covers that place. But she was a slave that was sold to the Red Temple, which is, um, you know, the people who worship the uh, Lord of the Light, Rolor. Um, she became a priestess there, learned a ton of magic and shit. And it bas- basically, she kind of formed her own theory on who Azora High would be. And she ended up taking that to Dragonstone and um, com- proclaiming that Stannis was going to be the Lord of the Light. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, the uh, Zor High. So that's how she ended up there, and she's sticking with him now. And that's, uh, that's all I really know about her. She will be one of your top five favorite characters. Not because she's a good person. She actually kind of sucks as a person, but she is... She's got to be. I mean, we're planning on doing another Mount Rushmore, and we're going to do HGBs, which is Hot Grill Babes and Hot Guy Babes. We're going to do a couple drafts on who the hottest in each department is uh, coming up. And I think I think she's, depending on who gets first pick, which we should flip for, I think, she's going to be a tightly contested uh, uh, member. She might be a first-round pick. That's all I'm saying. Well, she's 100% going to be a first-round pick. She has right? that potential. Well, she has that we'll potential. Out. Yeah, we'll see. She ran we'll a four four. She got, she ran Very a four fair. four. She's weighing in at a one hundred fifteen pounds. Nice one hundred fifteen. Yeah. Nice. Just, I don't even know if she weighs that much, but no, I don't um, care. Anyways, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Her code anyways. drill, very nice. <laughs> um, so let's find George a date. So this is a segment where we try to get George R. R. Martin hooked up on a date. A yeah. little tender, if you will. Michael Peterson, I chose him. He wasn't into it last time. Uh, I chose him a few weeks ago. He, we have been able to get none of our dates have done. Stormy didn't call back. Uh, Angelina and Jen Aniston <laughs> both said no. Uh, Kim Kim K, did we choose her at all? I think she said no. We didn't even choose her. I think she said no. But who do you got this week, Chris? Lil Tay, have... she said no. Yeah, Lil Tay said no. She Lil was a hard no. Said no. Yeah. I I'll, I'll take um, Elon Musk. Ooh, and, he's hot. Um, yeah, so he actually, so last week, there's a great meme going around. Um, he was lighting up a joint with um, with Joe Rogan. So, I mean, the reason why I would pair them up is they're both fearless leaders, um, and they both love outer space. George has, like, a few books that are uh, based out of space, outer, outer space. And, we'll edit um, it. Yeah, we'll edit it, and and I'm sure they both like lighting up some doobies. Actually, I don't know if George smokes, but we saw Elon Musk smokes. But if he's coming up with like dragons and shit, like I'm sure George probably has smoked a few doobies. I'm sure George, believe me, George has probably done worse than smoke a few doobies. <laughs> and tripping balls or something. Yeah, that guy's probably done some LSD. <laughs> All right, so it's my turn. Hell yeah! Ow, thank you. My date for George, and I think Chris, you're gonna love this one, is is a guy, is someone who has his best interests at heart and would help keep George healthy at dieting, and that's Papa from the Johnny Papa memes. 
Because uh, oh, George man. has had way too much fucking sugar in his life, and he needs to stop. That blood sugar is out of control, so he needs well, Papa to do it. Well, the issue is because because it wouldn't even be that Papa wouldn't be that hard on him if George would just admit that he had some sugar. But George is always lying that he he's had always lying sugar. about his sugar. So Papa, yeah. so Papa has to come down with the fucking ass whooping on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> Mr. Papa's gonna be there. He's gonna help George get his uh, make sure his his, his blood sugar is nice and in, in line. He'll help him hit him with that epipen if need be. And we're gonna keep George. We're gonna keep George alive at least until that other book comes out, gang. Ain't that the truth? I actually, so that's a that's Looking a right. lesser known meme. That's a lesser known meme. Is the Papa, the Papa and Johnny meme. So if you guys haven't seen those, I I highly recommend you look that up. Yeah, they're really out there. Them. Chris is big on them. Yeah. I'm not crazy on them, but I knew that would make Chris laugh, so I, I went with it. Oh. But I'm not I'm not big on the Johnny yeah. Papa memes. Oh man, you like to make me laugh? That's that's very considerate of you. It is, dude. Thank you. Nice. You just kind You're of You're a gentleman and a scholar. I'm neither. <laughs> What's the All next right, segment? Um, Wait, do I get next Oh segment? yes. Next Yeah, we got some unnecessary titties. So mm. this is where you pick out um, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but we just pick out the most like unnecessary nudity for you new members to the podcast. Yeah. In any HBO show or show that's not basic cable where you can show nudity, it always feels like there's some nude scenes that are forced. Uh, and we mm-hmm. came up with this unnecessary titty segment originally. Again, we're, we're for some reason we're having a lot of throwbacks to our creative process. We uh, meant for this to be about titties, but then we came up with the idea that it actually should be about anything. But to keep it called unnecessary titties, no matter what. But it's about right. anything of the show we find unnecessary or forced. And my my unnecessary titties was basically the whole vibe at Crasher's Keep. I already touched on this, but it's just the really vibe. Creepy. See, I love that. Yeah, yeah it's a bit, so the, the vibe, vibe is unnecessary titty. Yeah. Yep. And it is true though. That's a very unsettling place, Craster. Uh, so basically, what they allude to is that this guy gives birth has bangs his daughters marries them uh they give birth to more daughters if they give birth to a son kill the son and then he keeps banging the daughters and they and they all tend the house for him and everything yeah and we find later that his way of killing the son might be a little deal with the devil yeah look into that let's not let's let's not spoil all right because i get fucking almost taken out back and shot every time i spoil so oh god listen papa no more fucking spoiling (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, my unnecessary titties is when uh, what's that guy's name Sir Dantos yes he's the fool so my unnecessary titties is when Sir Dantos is being forced by Joffrey to do that like keg wine bong they take a keg and pour it down like a fucking funnel so it's basically a wine bong uh, until he's dead but of course he stays alive but I found it unnecessary because uh, he had like a really bad gag reflex and it made me think of good gag reflexes and then I took like a two hour break just watching Riley Reed videos (laughs) And I'm trying oh to fucking goodness, focus dude. on work. <laughs> Holy shit. What, what, what are you talking Two about? Hours? What's going on? What's, what are you even doing? I was just, I, it, I wasn't doing nothing. Strictly I was just watching. Strictly, strictly professional, professional, professional research. SPR. Yeah. It was for the podcast. Strictly yeah. professional. We'll edit out your stuttering, but it was strictly professional yeah. research. <laughs> and listen, guys, if you don't, I never knew who Riley Reed was until, until Chris one day introduced me to her <laughs> art. <laughs> Which is, which is strangely similar to how you found out about Game of Thrones, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm just you've opened you my eyes just yeah. so much, dude. I think you got me in Call of yeah. Duty in 2007. But, like, guys, let me tell you something about <laughs> Riley Reed. Of all the things we told you not to Google, Google her. She's fantastic. She's a fucking <laughs> artist. Oh, man. Yeah, she's one of, she, she's well-decorated. She's won a lot of awards. She can, she's a fish. She can breathe through her fucking gills, apparently. I don't know how she does it. <laughs> It's fucking wild. But, um, Two hours. It was just but, watching. Uh, it was just research. That's all it was. Oh, wait. Actually, I'm going to bust out the results on You're going to bust on, on Oh, do it. <laughs> on the votes that we had. <laughs> oh, do it. Man. Yeah, that do was it. a little bit too close to the other conversation, talking about bus and stuff. It's busting. Right, so... Um, so I picked the top two of the, the first two rounds of each of our uh, Mount Rushmore's two weeks ago on the on the season finale. Yep. And so for the most hated character in Westeros, with the least votes, we have a tie between Rickon Stark and Cersei Lannister. And How's that possible? Those are both my most, picks. 
with the second most votes, we have Ramsey Bolton. And with the commanding lead at 54% of the votes, we Joffrey. have Joffrey Baratheon. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. disagree wholeheartedly. They're all very unlikable. Uh, but Rick and Stark, by far, is the most unlikable person in the history, I think, of television. <laughs> Dude, if, if you like, if you were walking through a dark alley and you saw Rick and Stark, like, you wouldn't turn around and walk the other way. You'd probably murder him and then walk out the other side. I would kill him so and I'd go scared. straight to the police department and be like, I just killed Rick and Stark. Like, I, <laughs> you could watch, like, a World War II documentary and Rick and Stark would be the most hated person on television oh, in man. that moment. Is he's that, he sucks. And then the results, the results of the second <laughs> vote that we had, who's the best fighter, as Jon Snow would call it. Um, with the least votes, we have the Mountain. That's no surprise there because he lost, kind of. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I Well, Arya was a better fighter than him, and I drafted her, too. I think you set these yeah, up I for probably, me to fail. Well, I mean, I took our... I took our first two rounds. Except picks, Rickon. Dude. Rickon is just voting mistakes. Right. That's it. It's just on the voters. There's nothing I can do. I can't <laughs> fix that. They have the issue, not me. <laughs> so the so the mountain has the least votes. Brienne of Tarth has the second least votes with uh, 28%. So this was a close vote on the top three here. So 28% was Brienne. And then Jon Snow and Bronn uh, actually tied for first place with 32% each. Yes. It's Jon Snow. Just to be honest, it's Jon Snow. So if Jon John Snow and Brom were fighting one on one, Jon Snow walks out of here live. I yeah. think you're right. I think so. I think I think, right. I think so. At the end of the day, I think Jon would win that battle. Uh, but well, you never know. Well, also, I mean, he he has fucking long claw, which will probably break right through Bron right. Steel. And he has ghost. So, well, yeah, but you can't. And also, can't, oh my god, one on one here, you can't throw in the. Also, Kit Harrington by far is one of the best sword fighters I think on the show. The way he wields the sword, I guarantee you, they made it super light because he oh, fucking yeah. looks great doing it. Actually, um, I'll actually touch on this too in uh, in a later episode because uh, the show writers talk about it at the end of the end of the episode. But Kit Harrington actually, they talk about how good he is. Um, and naturally is wielding a sword and they don't have to like they don't have to do as many cuts and stuff because obviously that stuff gets heavy in a lot of people's arms and they have to take breaks in between scenes and stuff get winded and uh kit was able to like bang scenes out i guess in rapid succession he's like riley um, reed yeah yeah so so yeah that's yeah, our like, that's mm, our show there's some scenes no we got we got tbc more. dude Oh shit! Travel yeah, combat. Did. We'll huh. edit that. Let's go. All right. Yeah, we'll edit we'll that. Edit that. Oh, you high as fuck right now, <laughs> Jesus! What are you doing, man? Don't sell me short. You were so. You were. Me and Elon. Me and Elon Musk are hanging out. You were so excited that fucking Westeros history minute was back. You forgot about the segments that people like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. True. So this dude, right. this show, I'm coming at you, dude. I'm coming right at you. This show, uh, this so this will this is gonna hit you where it hurts, Chris, because you had a hand in this. This is a cop show uh, about two buddies, two buddy cops, uh, and, and you had a part in creating this. Dot dot dot. Many oh, years ago. Let's go. Uh, this oh, is. Yeah. Yep, yep. This is a show about two buddy cops. One, David Ballstein. He's a Jewish cop working the beat. His partner, Johnny Cochran. No, not that Johnny Cochran. It's just a coincidence. And he's a black cop. Uh, and, and it's Johnny Cochran, David Ballstein. Apart, they're nothing. But together, Cochran and Ballstein are cock and balls. Uh, and there, of course, so this show is called Cock and Balls, The Rise of Angel Creme, who is, of course, their arch nemesis from France. Cock and Ballstein, the best cop duo in the world, taking on Angel Creme uh, and all his crimes. Me and you created this show in 2008, I think, uh, and it's the best show How on television. How crazy is it, though? It's that, I mean, that was 10, ten years, years ago. ago. It's crazy to Holy think about. It's sad. Yeah, Corporal Dick was 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, Party I mean, time. Because we had... We actually are those videos still on the on the YouTube? Right yep. Now? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's wild. So I still got them. I mean, Check out Cock I, and I Balls, mean, guys. There's a fucking yeah. classic. Uh, Cock and Balls <laughs> search, is still up there. Some backdoor hustlers. The backdoor. Well, balls. I don't know if the, our page is still up, but my page, John Sheedy Comedy, is up. Well, that sounds a little selfish. Yeah, you, I'm sorry. If you, some, <laughs> if you want to see some great A comedy, guys, and by great guys. A, I mean like probably awful and just a lot of like bad. But if you want to see you know, me and Chris in high school, high school ooh. Yeah. 
That shit out. Dude, cock and balls, dude. How good of a show is it? First off, on Hell Krem, of course, they always mess up his name, and it's anal cream. It's a funny joke. It's really creative stuff. Really just top-shelf comedy. <laughs> we have a commissioner. The commission. The commission. You never see his face for some reason. It's always behind shots. Uh, probably pretty offensive. My impression of David Wallstein. Chris is Johnny Cochran. is fantastic. He has a huge afro. I have a little afro. Uh, it's a fantastic show, dude. We this was based, if you remember, those Ben Stein Shack commercials, uh, where they were getting in the car together. I think it was, or it was like a, I don't know what the commercial was, but it was Ben Stein and Shack. And we were coming up. We had just started doing sketch comedy. And Chris, you texted me and you said, "Hey, we should do something like that." And then it just evolved to this. And it and it got out of hand real quick. Real quick, real quick. How many did we actually get done? Like three? No, we did two. One made it to air, and then we made two. a commercial that was pretty famous. Yeah, but we had we actually I wrote, I think it, me and Jack started it, but I finished it. And I actually don't have I can't find it anywhere. We wrote a full length feature script, uh, <laughs> where Angel Krem tries to cream the entire city of Chicago with a bomb, but he calls it his creamer. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like so dumb, but it's so, so good. It's the fact we still laugh at this. Oh my gosh. Alright, well I'm gonna give the head nod to uh, Cock and Balls just because I had a part in, in, in creating that one. Yeah, George ain't got nothing on so, us. So, alright, so that actually is our show. And I'm not skipping any segments this time. Um, next week should be pretty action-packed. Uh, things start to pick up a little bit in episode two, but also um, we'll probably have a special segment that we'll roll out. We're also working on getting a couple guests on the show. Um, mm -hmm. At a certain point, I'm going to have a couple buddies come on and kick off the guest uh, appearances. So we're really excited for that, and that's in the works, so stay tuned. Chidi, you got anything to add to that? Uh, just thank you guys for listening. Your continued support means a lot. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, you good? I'm all Gucci. All right, I'm Gucci too. Hey, uh, Amelia Clark, uh, hit me up. Let me introduce you to Cock and Balls. <laughs>